0: Pastor Ed Taylor on seeing Jesus in the scriptures and the difference it makes. Jesus is everywhere in the scriptures, everywhere. So that
1: when they're thinking of Jerusalem and they're thinking of temple worship and they wanna go backwards to the shadows, to the formalities, to the incense, to the actual physical Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on it, they're literally leaving the mercy seat and going back to the picture, to the type.
0: This is amazing grace. This is unfailing. Many today are tempted to go backwards instead of going forward in Jesus. But how does that happen? And am I at risk or is someone I love? Today's Abounding Grace will address those questions and more. To supplement our look at the book of Hebrews, we've turned to Exodus 26, going into more detail on the tabernacle. And we're discovering those details are not without significance. Here to explain is Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: I want to look through some numbers here with numerology. So now we don't only have typology with the colors and the materials, but we also see numbers being used. Here they were 5 on one side and 6 on the other. 6 in the Bible is the number of man or of flesh. You might be familiar with the number 6 when you get to Revelation, the number of the beast is what? 666. Six, six. 6 is a number of man. 5 happens to be the number of grace. So you see now in this layer, you have flesh, a man, and grace met together. Now, 11 in the Bible is a number of disorder. And so you have 11 curtains made up of flesh and grace. So stay with me because they were brought together with bronze clasps. Bronze or brass in the Bible speaks of judgment, linking them together. And the judgment that's upon man links grace and man together. How would you ever understand grace unless you understood judgment? How would you ever understand the grace of God and the price that Jesus paid for you and me unless we understood what we deserve as they come together? Now these two curtains, the goat's hair and the fine linen together, also speak of Jesus Christ because on the inside, is this beautiful scene of heaven, the beautiful tapestry of the, of the heavenly realm and the angels, but over it is black, inside wonderful, but he who knew no sin became sin for us as he hung on the cross. So ugly was the sin upon our Savior that the Father turned away, and it became dark While Jesus hung on the cross for three hours, darkness covered the land. You see, the tabernacle, even in these first two curtains, would speak of the beauty of Jesus and the darkness of sin that sent him to the cross, where grace meets humanity. But that's not all. Notice verse 14, another covering. There's actually four total. You shall make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent. You don't need to know, I don't need to teach you by now, you know that red represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And so here you have another covering, the ram. Now jot it down, we're not gonna turn there, but in Genesis chapter 22, we already learn in the life of Abraham and in the sacrifice of his son Isaac, that God provided himself a sacrifice. You know what it was? A ram caught in the thicket. So instead of Isaac being offered to God, God received an offering. Listen, God received an offering that satisfied him that he himself provided. That's the work of God. All within the tabernacle here. So this ram skin that's dyed in red covers the blackness. Speaks of heaven as the blood covers sin. And the death of sin. There's a fourth layer. Check this out. Verse 14. Now on top of that, put a covering of badger skins above that. Now badgers are not the prettiest animal on the planet. And their skins aren't either. This was the outside. This was the covering. This would be the top of the tent. So that as you were walking by, that's what you would see. You'd see the badger skins. Now why is this significant? Well, when the Moabites came by the camp of Israel, they would see tents all over the place, and they'd see that tent in the middle, but it would be badger skins. It would be normal and common. This would be the side that the the Moabites saw. This would be the side that the Canaanites saw. From the outside, the tabernacle looked like any other tent. It was shaped a little bit differently, but there was nothing on the outside that would make you think there's anything beautiful on the inside. I had a hard time trying to grasp what this might be, but if we were to take a tour down to Cherry Creek and we'd see all the mansions there and we just kind of imagine, wow, look at the outside, it's amazing. It must be even more amazing on the inside. And so we're going on a little tour of mansions and we come across the mansion that's all boarded up with plywood and and the stucco's all coming off and there's holes in the roof and we're like, oh, there's nothing about that mansion. There's nothing, we just pass by to the next one. But they say, no, 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 you need to come in. Don't let looks deceive you. And when you walk in, it's just as beautiful as anything else. You walk by and you go, there's nothing there that would make it attractive to me. But on the inside, that's what matters. It reminded me of a couple things. First of all, that's really how the world operates. Do you know the Bible says that man looks at the outward, but God sees the heart? And it's true. That's all we have to judge. When I look out, all we can see is the outward. And as a church family, you know, maybe even thinking about how, how this building, you know, this big square building that we meet in, when you drive by, it's even hard to tell what it is. That's one of the reasons why we added church to our name, because you, it's hard to even tell what this is. So what is that big building? What do they have? Is it just a school? Is it, do they do weddings there? Is it a venue? No, no, actually, we're a church. We do a lot of ministry here. But you look on the outward and you go, I don't know. I don't know. what. There's not much to that. But what's important about this building is not the outward. What's important about this building is when people show up, what's on the inside. It's what's important. You look wide, you go, I don't know. It's not so, not so appealing on the outside. But we don't care what it looks like on the outside. We care about what's on the inside. And that's God's heart for you and for me. But not only that, remember, Jesus is described as not being very attractive. You go, what do you mean? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. Listen to what it says. And when we see him... Speaking of Messiah to come, there is no beauty in that we would desire him. You know what that means? Jesus looked like everyone else as a man. And it's so different, isn't it, than the way he is painted and portrayed. The way he's painted in paintings is is like you kind of think Jesus always floated around six inches above the ground. He glowed in the dark. He always has a halo over him. He always looks more handsome than everyone. But remember, we get great insight on the fact that Jesus looked common and ordinary by the moment he was betrayed. When they came to take Jesus away, how did they know Jesus was the one? Well, I know, Ed. He was the one that was glowing in the dark. That was pretty obvious. Just go to the glow stick. That guy, he's the one. Or look at his feet. Anybody that's six inches off the ground. The Bible doesn't say that. It's much more simple, isn't it? They knew he was Jesus because Judas kissed him. And this part of the tabernacle really ministers to us because the tabernacle reminds us, when you look at it, it's just like a badger skin just kind of put together. But when you get through the layers and you get to the inside, Jesus was a man, just appearance of a man, 100% on the outside. But Jesus was filled with 100% deity at the same time. And all this is being put together with this tent as a place of worship in the children of Israel. One more thing before we leave check this out the boards. This was the very skeleton of the tent. In verse 15, for the tabernacle you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. So let me summarize it for you as we're short on time. There were 20 boards on the north, 20 on the south, and six on the west that would leave the east open. That's how the tent would be made. It would be enclosed, but the east side would be open. Now, this is where things get exciting. I say that at every point, but they're all exciting. So this is where it gets exciting because you've got to go to Israel with us. I hope one day I can take you to Israel because on the first day we're in Jerusalem, we're going to get up early in the morning. We're going to go over to the Mount of Olives. We're going to have a Bible study there and we're going to look over on the Temple Mount. And we are going to face, for those of you who already been, you already know this, from that vantage point, we are going to look at the eastern wall. On to the right is the eastern gate. Now, the gate that's there currently was not the gate that Jesus went through because it's been built up over time. But, I forget if it was Suleiman the Great, I forget exactly which person did this, but one of the Muslim rulers over the years actually took that gate and sealed it. You want to know why? Because he believed the Bible. Because the Bible says that Jesus will return from the east. The east to come into the Eastern Gate. Not only did they seal the Eastern Gate, but they put a Muslim cemetery in front of it. Because here's their thinking. No good Jewish person would walk through a cemetery to get through a sealed gate. And that's where they didn't believe all of the Bible. Because they left out the part that when Jesus Christ returns on the Mount of Olives, when his feet touch, he's gonna split open there's going to be a massive earthquake that's going to split open, and the way of the Savior is going to be made by His return, all in the tabernacle. It all fits together, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Not only that, we're back to acacia wood again, and acacia wood, again, speaking of humanity, wasn't a pretty bush. It wasn't a big, beautiful tree. It was a little shrubbery type of bush that grows in arid climates. And here's where the acacia wood reminds us of ourselves. The skeleton of that tabernacle speaks of humanity, and yet it's not a pretty humanity. You know, in order to use the wood from the, from the acacia tree, you'd have to cut it down, beat it, sand it, even put little notches into it, as you see, drill little holes into it, so that it can be used in the proper way for God. I think of our own lives of all the work that God is doing, how he's honing us, how he's crushing us, bringing about humility in our lives, how he's adding this and taking away that. As we see in a moment, the holes were made to clasp them together so that they could be held together with these sockets of silver. And you know, your life is just a work in progress in the hands of God, in the hands of a master craftsman. We've had to be cut down. And cut up. We've had to be trimmed and worked on in order to be useful in the master's hands. That the only choice that a piece of wood has is to submit to the master. You know, you can't have a piece of wood just kind of run away. And say, so, I don't want to be used anymore. It hurts too much. But the only response is, is to submit to the craft, the craft of the master. His wisdom. Jeremiah was given a similar picture when Jeremiah was told to go into the potter's house and look at the clay. Watch the potter with his clay. That as the wheel was spinning and that lump of clay was becoming something, Jeremiah saw, uh, it was startling, that the Bible says that though clay became marred, it means that, that, that something happened in it that had to be redone. And one of the things the text tells us is that it became marred in the potter's hands don't you ever forget you're in the potter's hands yeah it might be marred you might have stumbled and fallen you might have, you might even look at your life today and go it's over i don't i've blown it and it's over will just it'll never recover well in your own strength you'll never recover never it'll never happen it will never occur. You'll never be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You'll never be able to please God in your own strength. But with the resources that are made available by your abiding relationship of grace in Jesus Christ, everything you need to please God is available to you in Him. Everything. Which makes sense as we're going through Hebrews to turn away from Jesus Christ is a foolish choice. Everything you need is found in Him. It's not in a religious system. It's not in a man. It's not in a relationship. It's not in a thing. It's not in more of. You have all things pertaining to life and godliness through your relationship with Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Him. And so one more thing before we leave. There are sockets of silver that hold these boards together as it creates the skeleton of the tabernacle of the tent. Silver speaks of redemption. So if wood speaks of man, and these boards represent us being fashioned into what God wants for us, we're held together by redemption. And one of, one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us as a church is unity. It's very hard to find unity in the world today. We're in a, in a, in a world that is fractured, and, and everyone going at each other. I have to say even in the church world one of the weaknesses of the broader church of Jesus Christ is a fracture among us just like it was in the in the church in Corinth one of the weaknesses of the church in Corinth was that they had factions and they were divided one of the greatest weaknesses that can occur in our own homes is to see families divided but one of the strengths is unity unity it makes us stronger And when I think of church, I think, first of all, the unity among us as believers here in this little fellowship family. It's not a fake unity. We don't pretend here, but we really face everything head on and allow God to heal our wounds, to to allow us to walk in forgiveness where we don't hold grudges against each other. We're not all bitter against each other, but we walk in forgiveness. We admit that we fail one another, and we come together even stronger, even stronger than before the wound. But I think at the bigger, broader part of the church, capital C, we are not in competition with any church in town here. We're in unity with every true church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are happy for them. We support them. We pray for them. And don't ever get into this mindset like like somehow they're in competition with us. No, No church should be in competition. Our motives should be to build the kingdom of God. Our motives are not to fill churches, but to fill heaven. That's the heart behind it. When you share the gospel, it's for him. It's not for us. And that's why when I mention something like the horrible shooting or, or we have crises in our community. You don't have to wait for the church to organize something because we may or may not organize something. If God places upon your heart, for example, you're watching the news and you see all those parents gathered together at the Northridge Rec Center in Highlands Ranch and you have this impression, I think I need to be there. Then you get up, get out of your pajamas, put some clothes on and get over there. And you go, Ed, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, just take the first step. The Lord will show you when you get there. And if you feel like standing, if you think God wants you to stand on the sidewalk and pray, stand on the sidewalk and pray. You think you're just going to be used with somebody walking by or coming through or who knows? But you don't have to wait for the church to announce something. You are the church. And God wants us to infiltrate our culture. It's not just what we do corporately because, you know, there are things that we do that are organized and there are things to do where we gather together. But most of the time, what God does is as he scattered us throughout our communities so that you become the salt and the light on your street when you're watching the news. I know, I know our first response to things in darkness is often anger and outrage, and, and you just throw up your hands, and, and you're looking for someone to criticize, and you're looking for something. That's a natural response. But we can't live in the natural. we got to live in the Supernatural. And the supernatural response of Jesus was always to enter into the lives of broken, hurting, sin-soaked people. And that's God's will for our lives. He wants us to realize that our strength is in unity. And so you, you can, as you fan out in the community, our church doesn't need to get any credit for that. That church doesn't need to get any credit for that. The credit goes to the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. That he's using you and that you're moving forward in all that God has given you to do. So, when I think of the boards here, they all had a place, they all had a purpose, and all of them were needed. It's like you just didn't use a couple of them. God said, These are all that I need. I want them all. And then you might even think, Well, wait a minute, let's close up the East. Don't mess around with the details of God. He wanted the East open on purpose. Sometimes you look at it, Oh, well, you know, God made a mistake. God don't make no mistakes you're not a mistake I'm not a mistake and even the mistakes that we make are redeemed by God for his plan his purposes and his will and so the tabernacle is pretty fascinating as you look at it that even though they didn't know all the pieces I am so grateful they did exactly as God told them to do because here we are a couple thousand years later looking back and going man This is awesome. If you just knew Messiah, if you just knew who he was, if you just knew, and isn't that what Jesus said by the time he comes in the first century, he looks at all these religious leaders that had all of this. Because you might think, how would they know? Jesus is everywhere in the scriptures, everywhere. So that here, as we come to this place and we come back to Hebrews, you're gonna understand that when they're thinking of Jerusalem and they're thinking of temple worship, and they want to go backwards to the shadows, to the formalities, to the incense, to the actual physical Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on it. They're literally leaving the mercy seat and going back to the picture, to the type. And you'll get the essence of over and over and over in Hebrews, Paul's telling them, don't go back. Don't go back. You don't understand. Don't go back. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. And I believe that's a word of the Lord for you here today, listening on the radio or downstairs, wherever you might be, that even though you don't feel like you have all that you need, by faith in Jesus Christ, you have all that
0: you need to live a life that pleases Him. A timely encouragement from Pastor Ed Taylor on today's Abounding Grace, especially for those of us struggling to get a handle on life. Well, Pastor Ed, this study on the tabernacle and how it pictures Jesus and our relationship with Him no doubt has touched some hearts. I'm certain there's someone who's listening that's tempted to go back to the world even though they have what they're looking for in Jesus. Can you share a word with them and pray for them?
1: You know, Larry, I know people listening all the time are caught between two different worlds. You know, they have a love and a desire for the things of God, but the pull and the tug and the temptations of this world are very, very strong. And I would just say that it's not the right decision. Uh, Obviously, you know that, but it's good to hear it. It's not the right decision. Don't go back to the things that God has delivered you from. Don't do it. I mean, just straight up choose to endure and press through your current trial choose to resist the devil and he will flee from you choose to surrender and submit yourself in this particular season to the will of god don't do it we were just learning this in our bible study here at calvary uh, last night when we were reminded of a group of people that peter says when he talks about them going backwards he says that it happened to them, listen, it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her own wallowing in the mire. Don't go back. It's disgusting and it will destroy you. And so, Father, I do pray for those that are on the edge, uh, at the precipice, at the edge of a decision, that I pray that they would make that decision to honor you and press on, forgetting those things that are behind and looking forward to those things that are ahead. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five-Minute Apologetics for Today. The book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as a way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, our number, 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Don't miss our next study in Hebrews. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace.